we're finishing up our series uh, in focus today. We've been talking about a number of different things if you've been around for the last eight weeks. It's been kind of a three-part series and we started just talking about the kingdom of God and what he's doing, what he's up to in the world um, in, ch in changing lives and transforming hearts and, and bringing the kingdom of heaven here. Uh, we were connecting with the reality that actually heaven isn't something that we have to wait for because with the spirit of God living inside of us, we actually can be people that bring a slice of heaven to earth, and especially in the lives of other people and in the everyday moments of our lives. We, we went from there and we started talking about what it means for who we are, who God wants us to be in those environments. And we use this crazy illustration that the Bible uses called priests. We're a kingdom of priests. Um, in other words, we are bridges um, to, the, to a holy God, to an incredible God, to life um, and hope and grace that only comes in relationship with him. Um, then we moved on the last couple of weeks to talk about this word discipleship. And I don't know about you, but it's been, um, it's been a really awesome journey for me. And I hope and pray that you are beginning to get a sense of, of what this looks like, right? Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to leave, um, go back into heaven. He just spent three years with his disciples, kind of showing them what he cares about and what life is really all about. And then he's going to commission them with this last thing. And he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I commanded, and I'm with you until the end of the age. And the disciples, I, I imagine, are just kind of sitting there, glassy-eyed, everything going right over their heads. They don't know what God is actually, or Jesus is actually talking about, but they know that there's some weight to it. Because it's sort of like his last, his final words, his, his commissioning of them. And he's essentially saying, hey, here's what I've been up to over the last three years. You've watched me do it. And now I'm gone, and now it's your job. Now you're going to live this out. Until everyone on this planet experiences, gets to taste the goodness of the gospel, the reality of God's grace and his mercy and his love and his truth and his justice. And it's this beautiful picture. Um, and then the disciples went and an explosion kind of happened. And so for years I've wondered, why don't we experience the kind of like crazy movement type stuff that we read after that, that moment? Right? Jesus says this to them, and then the book of Acts happens, and it's this crazy movement of God, movement of the Spirit, and God does some amazing things. And we don't experience that in our churches. In fact, most people, probably yourself included, but the world in particular, sees our churches as dead and sort of irrelevant and not very exciting. And, and the very best case scenario, not very exciting, and the very worst, judgmental and harsh and separatistic and like we don't care and we don't love and, and all that kind of ugly stuff, hypocrisy that goes with our our reputation in the world. And the reality is something totally different. Jesus has called us to something totally different. So we've given this, this definition of what a disciple is and, and recognizing that we can't make disciples until we are clear about what a disciple is and we begin living into that, leaning into that ourselves. So this definition, you've heard it a lot already. You're going to hear it a lot more for a long time. So get used to it. A disciple is someone who is continually listening to Jesus and striving to respond with obedience to what they hear. Listen and obey. It's that simple. Last week, Courtney broke down for us what it means to listen to God. And for, for, for me, for most of my life, I've always struggled with this idea of listening. What does that look like? I can't verbally hear from God, or at least he's never spoken to me verbally. Not saying he couldn't, but he never has. So how do I hear from God? And Courtney sort of broke down for us that this word, the, the word of God, the Bible, is this living, breathing thing. One of the most um, intimate moments last week when Courtney was talking is when she's telling that story about the conversation she was having with her friend. And her friend says, how do you know? How do you know God so well? Um, how do you hear from God? And she said, she just like, held out her Bible and said, he's in here. He's in here. 
And, and there's this incredible reality that we have to connect with that the revealed word of God is for us. These words that are in this, in this thing that we call the Bible, it's not just like, it's not a, like a textbook. Man, what a sad, a sad state it would be if we saw the Bible as a textbook. No, it's a love letter. It's the full revelation of God's good and perfect and pure will. And what we've done with it is we've taken it and we've like pulled parts out and we've used some of it to like shame people. We've used other parts to make, make other people feel guilty. We've other, used other parts to make us feel superior and better than. And we abuse this thing. And, and, and what it really is, it's, it's, it's God saying, here's my heart. If you want to hear about it, here it is. It's there. It's right there for you every single day. But it's hard. It's hard because some stuff feels strange and confusing. And, but the reality is God is in there and he wants to reveal himself to you through it. And as we worship him in prayer... We can hear from God in that context as well and then also um, through people in our lives. When people challenge us and hold us accountable and remind us of things and tell us truth, that's one of the most powerful ways that we can hear the will of God. And, and as people, we need to become uh, like experts at learning him. I love she said this last week. Listening means that you make learning him a priority of your life. So we're challenged with this question. Is that a priority for us? Is learning the heart of God a priority for us is hearing from him. Do we even want that? If we don't, we'll never ever be able to know what he's telling us and why he's saying it. We don't have to be perfect, she reminded us. And she told us that, that kind of her motto is, may I ever stumble towards God, right? It's this, it's this broken journey, this bumpy road of moving towards our God and we're never perfect and sometimes we take uh, like five steps back and, and it feels like the steps forward are few and far between and just inches at a time. But our God is patient. And as long as we are leaning into this listening, he's going to show up. And he's going to speak to our hearts and he's going to reveal what he wants for us. A disciple listens. This week, our truth, we move to the second half of that definition. A disciple obeys. As we move to this portion of our definition, we have to stop and recognize that simply hearing from God is not enough. We're called to obey as well. James 1.22 is really, really blunt. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I think it's interesting that James like, like describes a person who hears something that's, that they believe is truth and then ignores it as foolish. You're fooling yourself. What are you after? What are you doing? And yet we do this all the time, I'm, I'm convinced. And I want to take it a step further than that. This is sort of like a kingdom of God thing, an economy of, of heaven type thing. If you read the entirety of God's word, the narrative, the story in the Bible, one of the themes that you'll see over and over come out when you, when you see the heart of God is that he has a certain way of interacting with people that are sort of in the know, people who should know better, who have heard the gospel. And then he has a way of interacting with people who have no business knowing, who are sort of like... Like, I've never heard this stuff before, or are new to this information, or, or don't fully understand the gospel. And he treats people who are in the know, people who have heard the gospel, who have chosen to embrace it, man, he, he raises the bar like crazy for them. And for people who have never heard, for people who are tiptoeing up against something, for people who aren't sure what they think, it's incredibly gracious and patient and freeing. And so you ha we have to ask ourselves today, which category do I fall in? It's okay to be in either one. 
But if you are a person who has heard the word of God, embraced it, then the call in our lives is to begin to lean into obeying it. We don't really have a choice. Hearing and accepting the word of God demands obedience to it. The choice to hear and accept and then and to not do it is probably the worst possible place we can find ourselves. And that's a scary challenge. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, like this word obedience, like we don't like it. We don't, we don't want to embrace it. We don't like to hear somebody tell us to obey. And I just want to remind you, I said it before, I'm not asking you to obey me. Remember, we talked about listening to the word of God and responding Right? Responding to what God is saying in our hearts and our lives. Here's the thing. He never said it would be easy. In fact, Matthew 16, we hear the opposite of easy. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This, this verse is one of those that no one really wants to talk about. No one wants to lean into this. We don't like to be told that things are hard, that things are going to be hard. We actually like to believe that, that faith and, and religion, that Christianity is actually like, it's like a self-help book. That, that as soon as we embrace it, our whole lives are just going to be a piece of cake. God's going to take care of everything for us. And if you know anything about leaning into life in the gospel, in the truth of the gospel, you know the opposite is true. The promise is something else entirely. It will be hard. Discipleship will be hard. Simply put, these, these words are telling us real life is found only in humble submission and obedience to the will of God. This is what I want to hone in on today. The life that is found in obedience. I want to paint a new picture for you today. One that just might change your heart towards it. I'm praying that today you see obedience as an invitation and not like a mandate. An invitation into something like wildly exciting. Powerful in your life. I believe that it is this um, and if we chose to embrace it from this standpoint we just might see it completely differently a disciple listens and obeys um, last week Courtney gave a sort of a prerequisite um, to listening um, before you can begin to follow Jesus you have to to want to before you can hear from him you have to want to and the same thing is kind of true in this context as well before we really dive into this we have to we have to recognize that there is a prerequisite to this obedience thing we have to want to obey now i don't know about you but i I rarely want to obey anyone or anything. I have like a, a rebellious streak that's like a mile long in me. So the idea of conforming is never something I get excited about. But I want us to see something really, really, really important today. First of all, God can and wants to soften our hearts. He wants us, he wants to make our hearts want to be obedient to him. But secondly, I think, like I've already said, this obedience thing is the best place we could possibly live our lives in humble submission to him. See, we're hardwired. We're hardwired as submissive beings, right? You didn't create yourself. I didn't create myself. We have a creator, and that naturally places us under him from the beginning of time, right? Our default position as human beings before God is one of surrender, leading to a lifestyle that embraces obedience. It is who we are. But sin entered the world and conditioned us to operate differently. To go after autonomy and independence and even see ourselves as better. Right all the way at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. God made Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden and gave them life like no one on this planet has ever seen before. 
Just listen to it for a minute. Maybe close your eyes and imagine. Let your, like, your imagination run wild as this is described. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle of all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Rule over it. It's all yours. Then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and every beast on the earth to every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life has, have been given to you. And God saw that it was good. This is the picture that God created us with, the environment that God created us in. He said, everything is yours. I'm going to make your life just amazing, phenomenal. One job he gave Adam and Eve. One job. And it was a pretty darn good job. You're all blanking out on me right now. Be fruitful and multiply. If you need me to fill in the blanks of what that means, then we need to have another conversation. One job. And it's an amazing job. Enjoy everything. And then enjoy each other so much that like we fill the earth with people, okay? This is it. This is, the, this is the perfect environment that God put them in. But what happened very quickly is they chose to believe another lie instead, that I can be like God. They bought a lie. That's not good enough. You know, if you want it, you could be like God. And from that day on, we've been trying to be Lord of our own lives ever since. They get ejected from the garden and begin a tailspin. And what naturally happens when people designed for dependency attempt to grab a hold of autonomy, trouble is absolutely guaranteed to follow. But see, we buy the same lie so easily. If we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us would admit that we would choose a measure of control over the potential of a greater life. But knowing that we've got to give it all and be submissive and surrendered to the God who created all things. So this morning as we dive in, we need to start with a default recognition. The reality that we are made to be underneath God. We are made to live in awe of him. We were made to worship him and our lives be an outpouring of worship for him. Let this sort of set the stage for our conversation. Maybe soak in these words for a minute. We have to begin by recognizing how big, how great, how powerful, how, how amazing he is. And how we are not any of those things. Acts 17, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From, the, from one man he created all the nations. Throughout the whole earth, he decided beforehand when, when they should rise and when they should fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him though he is not far from us. For in him we live and move and find our existence. This is God. This is God. He is big. We are small. He is powerful. We are weak. He is limitless. We are so incredibly limited. He's eternal. We are temporal. He is all-knowing. We are captive to the moment. He is always in charge. We are never in charge, even when we think we're in charge. He can be everywhere at once. We can only be where we are right now. He creates and sustains. We tear down and we destroy. He is never tired, hungry, wondering, hoping, wishing, hurting, bleeding, or falling. 
We are always all of those things. He's always free, always free, patient, loving, creating, giving, knowing, and moving. We are rarely those things and never all of them at once. He's God. We are not. And beginning in this place is, is the gateway to embracing discipleship that says, yeah, obedience, what, why is this an issue? Like, he's God, I'm not. And then take it a step further. Not only is he God and we are not, but then in light of that, then consider the way God feels about you and me. It's not just that he's all-powerful and we're weak, so we should give in to him. It's that he's all-powerful, and yes, we should be underneath him, but at the same time, he loves us so much. Listen to David's words, O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. Even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you are still with me. Yes, he is all powerful. So powerful that he could do all this stuff. But man, we're going way beyond that. This God that we are choosing to be submissive to, he loves us like this. He knit us together. We are precious in his sight. The psalmist like, compares it to the number of grains of sand on the beach. Is how, how many precious thoughts God has for you every day. So now we begin to like, maybe the walls come down a little bit. Maybe we can start to recognize this, this obedience thing. Man, this, isn't, this doesn't have to be a scary thing. God is not a bully making you obey him. God is not... God is not a Sunday school teacher. Sorry, Sunday school teachers. He's not a Sunday school teacher shaming you if you talk too much. He's inviting you into something that is for you and for me. He's saying, this is what I want for your life. And the only way you can experience it is in humble, surrendered obedience to all of my commands, to everything that I have for you. And man, what he has for you is amazing, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And we exchange all of this stuff for whatever you have the ability to control today. This mountain of stuff God wants to lavish on your life. We trade it all in so that we can have some, some weird kind of like not really significant measure of control or at least convince ourselves that we do obedience is the key it's the key to life to all of this which by the way comes very very hard which we are going to talk about now
Let this view of God marinate over your heart in these moments. Uh, this is where we have to begin. And even as I, as I continue to walk through our morning and talk about discipleship and what it means to obey, let, let this continue to marinate. This is how God feels about you. This is God, what God wants for you. This is who God is. Imagine him there in the moments of your conception, knitting you together in your mother's womb, protecting you, choosing what color your eyes would be. Crazy. This is our God. Remember that as we walk through that, this this morning. I'm convinced that awareness of the magnitude of our, of our God leads to humility. Clarity on how he feels about us leads us to freedom. And hope placed in the plans he has for our lives releases us into the thrilling posture of humble obedience. So with that as a backdrop, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter, 20, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't, it's okay. Um, I'm going to read everything. And we're going to start in verse 21 and read through um, 27. And this is an incredibly like pointed passage. Discipleship, listening, obeying. Plain and simple. Um, and and, and, he, and G, God uses this really cool kind of illustration for us in here. So we're going to start reading in verse 21. Um, this is Jesus talking. He's saying this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. Scary, right? Verse 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on a sand. And when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. As broken, limited, fallible people who cannot see the whole picture, who naturally default to self-destruction. We are not wired for autonomy. We can't handle it. We cannot be our own foundation in this life. We need the bedrock of God. And the, and the way we access that is through listening and obeying. What is God saying to me today? And what am I going to do about it? It's a simple question. It's not what is Jake saying today. It's what is God saying today. It's not what is, what is my Facebook feed saying to me today. It's what is God saying to me today. And what am I going to do about it? And man, we're all going to be in very different places. But if we are listening through God's word and through prayer and worship and through the people in our lives, we're going to hear from him. We're going to have clarity and we can begin to lean, lean into it. So I want to kind of work backwards in this passage a little bit as we flesh out three things and they're on your outline um, the first two I'm going to go through relatively quick. The first one is this. Obedience, obedience sets my foundation for living. The second half of this passage sets up this illustration of a house, right? A house built on rocks and a house built on sand. And so the first one is a, a house built on rocks. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Okay? So the foundation, a rock foundation, a bedrock foundation is listening and obeying. It's listening and obeying. And when we listen and obey, we have this foundation that cannot be destroyed by wind and waves. It doesn't have the power 
There's not a lot of ambiguity in these verses. It's simply saying your job, if you want to have a firm foundation, is to listen to my words. And I, I mean, this is just so like, Facebook is giving us so many great illustrations these days, right? Like over the course of the last few months, like the number of, of, of false information that floods the internet every single day, yet people click and share as if they're like, like truth without even reading half of the time. But they put some really cool statement above it that's like, that sounds like it's going to be really, and we just share away, share away. What is real? What is true? Who the heck knows anymore, right? Who knows? God knows. And so in a world where we can easily be tossed around, and maybe you have felt tossed around, especially in these last few days, in this last week, I bet you've felt tossed around some. How do we know? How do we know what God wants? How do we know what he wants me to be? I'm going to get to that in just a minute. The only way we can have a firm foundation when the storm comes like this week is by having our house built on the bedrock of listening and more importantly, obeying. Secondly, on your outline, listening and not obeying is bound to leave me in shambles, right? The house on the sand, it's going to come down for people who are designed for obedience for humility and submissiveness, when we attempt to be our own master, things kind of like unwind. That's just what happens. We can't handle it. It isn't good for us, right? Eventually, we fall apart. My parents, when they moved to San Francisco a few years ago, like made this kind of crazy commitment to making sure, it was really my mom, uh, made this crazy commitment that, that we're, I'm going to make sure that I see as much of my grandkids as possible. So her grandkids are all over. She's got six of them here in Nebraska, and then four more in Colorado. And so my mom kind of spends her whole year like trying to figure out ways that she can, if it's one of her grandkids, fine. If it's five of them, I mean, she'll drive all night in the middle of the night just to like be at one of their like piano recitals or like anything it takes, right? And so she's had like each one of them at different times, she's had them out to San Francisco by themselves or with one of their other cousins or whatever. And they spend like a couple of weeks there. And if you know my mom, like, my mom has, like, embraced being a grandma like I don't know if anyone ever has before ever. Because when my kids go there, um, they get whatever they want for, like, however long they're there. And the most unreasonable requests are met with the, hmm, I think we can probably make that work. And it, this is just the way it is. So they spend, like, a couple of weeks getting everything they want. And then they come home, and guess what they think? They're still going to get whatever they want. And it's like a week-long process of, like, deprogramming them to go, no, that's not the way life works at home. Right? When we're in charge for too long, we start to believe that we deserve to be in charge. This is what happens to our lives. And, and this, what this is telling us is if we maintain, if we live this autonomous life, seeing ourselves as, as better, as in control, eventually we end up in shambles. We are building a house on, on sand. And when the wind comes, when the rain comes, trouble is on the horizon. Number three, obedience is the mark of a follower of Jesus. We're going to land the plane here. We're going to talk about this for a little bit. And this is like incredibly challenging. There's no other way for me to say it. There's no other way for me to say it except to say, I'm going to read like Jesus' words here. And so if you don't like what I'm going to say, um, you can fight with him, okay? Um, so I already read this, James 1, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. 
our passage begins with this scene in heaven. It's, it's like a prophetic scene, right, back in Matthew chapter 7. It's this prophetic scene. Um, and like, it's the end times. It's judgment. It's standing before Jesus and making an account for our lives and the way we live them. And, and it's, it's painting this picture of people who are coming to Jesus and saying, I'm pretty awesome. I've lived a pretty amazing life. I did that, I did that, I did that, right? Went to church. Like, I only missed, like, three Sundays my entire life, okay? Pretty good. Tithe 10% my whole life. What else? What else? Right? Good behavior. And Jesus is looking them in the face and going, who are you? What? Not everyone who calls out to me, it says in 21, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who have actually done the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And this is where things get interesting. Because I think there's a lot of us living life, in particular in religious circles, that fully believe they are doing the will of God and couldn't be further from his heart. Man, have I seen a lot of that this week. Why? Because we're not listening. Because we're listening to ourselves. We're listening to our own opinions, to the opinions of people who think like us. And my question for us today is, how much are we actually leaning into the gospel? And on that day, will we be able to say, I knew your will, and I lived it out every day of my life as best as I could, not perfect. You're not going to find a checklist for what it means to be obedient, for what it means to be there on that day and have God go, yes, you got it, you nailed it. It won't be a checklist. It'll be a heart posture. It'll be the choice that you made to lean in to the power of the gospel in listening and being obedient to whatever God is calling us to. This passage is saying simply, man, there are going to be a bunch of people that day that are convinced that their good deeds and what I was, that their good deeds are what I was after. But they're going to be sorely mistaken. The truth is, it's not about what you do for me. It's about hearing my words, hearing my heart, and going and living my heart in the world that you live in. But for us, the problem tends to be that most of us aren't listening. And as a result, we are making up for ourselves what the will of God is. And it might be from past experience or, or, or history or what someone else has told us, but it's not actually the will of God, and we get ourselves in a ton of trouble when that happens. Here's that, the problem with that. What feels right in the world is almost always at odds with what God is calling us to live. I'm going to give an example. This week I've had a ton of conversations about the election, and you probably have too. Um, what's crippling our country right now is that everyone is fighting for their right to be understood, to be heard, to win. And why? Because they believe they're right. If you believe you're right and your cause is virtuous, why wouldn't you fight for it, correct? We agree with that. If you feel like you're right and you, like you have a cause and it's, and it's a virtuous cause, it's a selfless cause, it's a make people's lives better cause, you're going to fight for that right. You're going to fight for it. But why wouldn't you? But that's where the schism from the will of God happens. If we're really listening to God, we see this world completely different. By the world's standards, you have the right to all kinds of freedoms. And it would be nearly un-American not to exercise the rights that you have, the freedoms that you have. I agree with this. I live in this country. I believe in freedom and our rights. And we should protect them. But let's look at what Jesus is telling us about freedom. This is an example of how things get really hard when we start measuring our own 
like own perspectives and opinions against what God is actually telling us. And in this passage in 1 Corinthians 9, he's going to be really clear with us about what our freedoms are for. He makes it really clear, this is Paul talking, that you have freedom. You have rights. And they're good. And they're not wrong. You have basic rights that are yours and they're good. But I want you to hear what the kingdom of heaven says is the best use of your freedom and your rights. Verse 19, even though I am free, a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to them as well. I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He goes on, verse 22. When I was with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. This is Paul talking about liberty. You can do whatever the heck you want. Okay? You can do whatever you want. That's what this is saying. You are free to do anything you want. But guess what the best use of your freedom is based on what Paul is saying right here? To give it up for the sake of somebody else. For the sake of anyone else. One step further, for the sake of everyone else. And it's so interesting that he uses slave language. Become a slave to all people. Nobody's forcing me to do something. I am willingly choosing to take my freedom and lay, and lay it down. This is the different, this is the nuance of the kingdom and this earth. And we can live as citizens of this earth and we can fight for our rights. And that's okay. But if we're going to live as disciples, then there's a new kingdom. And it has a whole new set of values. As a follower of Jesus, I have not been given the right to choose who I value. Paul takes this point so far that he's saying, become a slave to the one that you tend to value the least. Connect with the radical nature of the gospel, my friends. This is not pretty. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good. I'm going to make it like really, really practical. There are people in this room at like both ends of the political spectrum and everywhere in between. And you know what? I think that's a really good thing. But listen, this is what Paul would say. This is what the gospel would say about what we've dealt with over the past week in our country. Here it is. If you have spent this entire week angry for people protesting and calling everyone who voted for Trump racist, the biblical mandate from this passage about what your actions should look like, what obedience should look like, is to go search for a way to serve the people who are protesting right now. If you are heartbroken, angry, and even fearful from the results of the election, your biblical mandate as a follower of Jesus is to go find the people you feel hurt by and scared of and look for a way to serve them. This is the kingdom. This is the scandalous nature of the kingdom. And for too long, we have created this like this sanitized view of what it means to follow Jesus. And as a result, none of us are following Jesus. And we simply can't keep doing that. Unless we want to hear, I never, I never knew you. He never mentions fairness or rights. 
As citizens of this world, you and I will continually seek the fulfillment of our perceived rights. As citizens of heaven, we get to use said rights for the sake of propping up another person. This isn't about people taking away your rights. This is about you and me, gladly, willingly, humbly, obediently, laying down my rights for the sake of propping someone else up, even my enemy. It sounds crazy, and if it does, then I'm doing a good job, because it is crazy. The gospel is crazy. This grace that we like celebrate, this freedom that we celebrate, the hope that we celebrate, this is what gives that power. And without it, it doesn't have any. It's some watered-down version that's useless in anyone's lives, including our own. It leads us to a place of indifference with our eyes shut. And I fear that, that many of us are living lives religiously, carefully, that are on a one-way track to hear, I never knew you. What is God saying? What does the, the heart of God actually want? To embrace him is choosing to listen to what he's actually saying, no matter how uncomfortable it might feel in your life, no matter what it calls you to, and then choosing to obey. For a disciple, a follower of Jesus, we're choosing to lean into a whole different value system. As followers of Jesus, we belong to a kingdom that is greater than this one, and that kingdom values things this one does not. And now you understand why Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life willingly for my sake, they'll find it. I think we're more worried about losing our lives. And the gospel's calling us into something different into something better, into something real and powerful. This is the life you and I were designed to live. A disciple isn't listening for what they want to hear. They're listening to what God is actually saying, and they're choosing to live into it. No matter what it is, the only thing we can be sure of is that it will be hard. It will be hard. It will include denying yourself. If your faith is easy, you might want to look up and make sure that it's Jesus that you're actually following. It's a scary reality. So the question is, um, what did you do this week because of the gospel? What did you do because the kingdom of God was whispering in your ear? What did you do that made Jesus smile and say, yeah, that's my disciple. Right there. So we're kind of at this edge, right? The edge is something, no matter where you're at in this faith journey, I, I believe discipleship starts from day one. The second that we start to go, okay, I want to hear a little more about this Jesus guy. That's where the listening and obeying begins. And it's one step at a time, no matter where you're at, so we can all be on this discipleship journey together. The only requirement is that we keep taking steps towards Jesus. We keep stumbling towards God. So what is the step that he's asking for you today? I don't know what it is. It's not the same as what he's asking for from me. Because we're all on a different journey. But a disciple is someone who's continually listening to Jesus and striving to respond with obedience to what they hear. 
You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be willing to start leaning in, listening, and then responding when you hear, when you understand, not to what makes you feel comfortable, but to what he's actually saying. A disciple is not one who is perfect, a perfect representation of Christ at all times, in all aspects, but one who is continually, and that's the key word, continually placing their lives on the altar of worship so that God can do transformational work through their lives. The journey of a disciple is an endless one. We never move on. We never graduate. It's a daily pursuit of these same two things, listen and obey. We aren't checking things off a list. We're not climbing any ladders. We're just striving to get better at hearing from God and responding with a yes, no matter how hard it is. This is the essence of being a follower of Jesus. In this economy, the only measurement for success is staying on that pursuit, continuing on that journey. Some days we're going to be really, really good at it. And some days we're going to be awful. And that's where the power of God's grace is so pointed in our lives. A disciple then has to let go of the desire to perform, the desire to excel, the desire to get ahead, check things off a list, to be finished, and rest in the transformational posture of full surrender, full obedience. So the question is, are we ready for this adventure? If we do, we can become people that understand very well what Jesus was saying when he called his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishing. I will teach you how to fish for people. He, what he meant to say was, I want to use you to make broken things mended, to make hurting things healed, to make lost things found, to make dead things grow. This is what he wants to do with you. This is the, 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 the fruit of a disciple. It changes everything. Just by virtue of, of God's love and power pouring out of us. The band's going to come back up right now. Um, we're going to close with this song. And it's a song we've sang before. It's called um, Beautiful Things. And it's a, a song that talks about God's, uh, the power of God's love and his grace and how it transforms things. And it uses the imagery of, of like a, a garden, a, a dry garden, and flowers coming up from dead soil. And the power of the gospel has the ability to make, make things beautiful. It says, you make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. This is, this is the kingdom fruit of someone who has said, yes, I want to be a disciple. Yes, I want to listen. Yes, I want to obey. And then God takes their lives and says, okay, you are going to be a catalyst for making things come to life. For making people come to life. For bringing hope where there's hopelessness. Freedom where people are in chains. This could be the measure of your life. This could be the measure of my life. And it all comes down to understanding that a disciple, a disciple is someone who is continually listening and striving to obey whatever God is telling them.